Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. If the value to being in this regulated environment is worth it to you, then you've got to pay the price and play by their rules. But if you instead, if you want just total freedom, and that's why you're in Bitcoin, then that's how you got to play. I mean, it's just you got to pick the route you want to go. Practically speaking, you can exchange it, right? So you could use BISC to exchange it. So BISC also trades liquid Bitcoin. You could just swap in and out to basically new Bitcoin, and maybe that Bitcoin is not tainted. Today's episode is sponsored by Bitstamp and Crypto.com. I'm Coindesk reporter Anna Baidakova, and today I have guests that don't often appear in the news, BISC and HODL HODL exchanges. They normally don't announce new partnerships or investment rounds every once in then, and this is because I believe they are quite rare animals in our crypto jungle. These are peer-to-peer non-custodial, non-KYC Bitcoin exchanges, and these species seem close to extinct in the crypto industry of today, because we're all about KYC and AML and the travel rule and the FATF and so on. But these guys have quite a unique and I would say quite a stubborn vision of all this. And we're going to talk about it today. So welcome Steve Jane of BISC and Max Kedun of Hodo Hodo. Thank you for joining us, guys. Great having you today. Thank you. Likewise. Max is the CEO of Hodl Hodl, a peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace and the organizer of the Baltic Honey Badger Conference. Quite a cool hardcore Bitcoin conference, by the way, which used to happen every year in Riga before the pandemic. And maybe you want to tell us a bit more about the plans for this year uh, a bit later, Max. And Steve is a contributor to BISC, a peer-to-peer exchange that is so decentralized, you should run its code on your own computer to do trades. So you guys both are coming from the mainstream finance. Max used to work for various banks and Steve, you used to work for venture capital firms. And now you're both hardcore Bitcoiners who don't believe in any other coins. I really want to dive right into all the things about why you function, how you function. But before we do that, can you just give a short overview of how BISC and HODL HODL work for our listeners who might not have heard much about you? Why don't we start with you, Max? Tell us about Hodo Hodo, just a very brief summary. What is your principle of work or where are you guys based? I know you're incorporated in Great Britain. And what's been going on for you for the past half a year, maybe? Thank you very much, first of all, for uh, inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I wouldn't say we are rare breed, first of all. There's many, many other uh, like trading platforms appearing now. And it's kind of paradigm shift. People are start considering non-custodial solutions and non-KYC solutions. But anyway, we're not incorporated in Great Britain. I wouldn't say, and I will not say where we're incorporated. Let's keep it in a secret. We don't like to disclose our location or our jurisdiction. I saw this information appearing somewhere in the internet, but actually it's not true. We are not incorporated in Great Britain. <laughs> anyway, so we are actually based globally. We, we are remotely working. Like We have people who are working from Asia, Europe, uh, North America, so anywhere basically. And um, how we, we are working, well, as you mentioned, we're a non-custodial uh, trading platform. As we say, we're not exchange because we just provide a set of tools for, for you to make a trade peer-to-peer. And uh, the core principle is that we all, all our trades are happening through the multisig, which is multi-signature escrow 
on a Bitcoin blockchain. For each uh, trade, we create a unique multi-sig address on public Bitcoin blockchain. And all the trades are happening through this multi-sig, which actually have three keys. One goes to the seller, one goes to the buyer, and one goes to HODL HODL. So it's a principle two out of three. You can only move coins from that multi-sig when you have a two, at least two signatures. So that's how we're working. And uh, this is what means non-custodial. And because we're non-custodial, we're actually exemption in terms of regulation and verifying users, at least for now. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the short one. Uh, okay, Steve, uh, you want to give a very brief overview of how BISC works, how it has been changing. Uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about BISC DAO, a bit uh, the decentralized autonomous organization that is now managing BISC. Sure. So BISC is, I guess, first and foremost, it's software. So it's when we, you know, we we're talking about jurisdiction and incorporation earlier. BISC is not incorporated and it does not have jurisdiction. It's just software that you run on your own local machine. And when you run it, you view, you can make and take offers from other peers on the network. And those trade messages go through the peer-to-peer -peer network to your peer directly encrypted back and forth. And so there's multi-sig is how trades are, are secured and conducted. There's peer-to-peer -peer offer making and taking. Um, and I would also say that BISC is not really an exchange. It's more of an exchange network because of that sort of architecture that it has. Lately, we've been really focused on trying to improve various elements of the network. The DAO is certainly a core part of the network. Like you mentioned, it is the, the mechanism that handles the funding and governance of the BISC network in the absence of your typical company, management team, board of directors, investors, BISC has none of that. And so the DAO is what really facilitates the, the operation of the network in a way that, that involves no leaders, no you know, central points of authority to make the governance of the network as decentralized as the network itself. So you also used to have arbitrators just as HODL HODL who would uh, help resolve the disputes before, but you also got rid of those as well. That's correct. Yeah. So when we say multi-sig, we're actually talking about two of two multi-sig. It used to be that we would have two of three multi-sig addresses where you, one of the keys would be held by an arbitrator. Lately, for the past uh, eight to nine months now, we've had two of two multi-sigs where only the peers in the trade would have keys to the multi-sig. They could only, the peers could unlock or control the funds in the multi-sig. And the, the dispute process is changed a little bit to essentially require the back and forth to resolve a trade to involve mediators and uh, what we call a refund agent. And that's a bit of a complicated process we can maybe talk about later. I think we'll get into that uh, a bit later. Now, just why don't we talk about the very concept of non-custodial Bitcoin trades? What is the virtue of never trusting an exchange with your Bitcoin? Steve, can you start this one? Because we see that most people maybe don't mind it at all. And there is quite a lot of liquidity on centralized custodial exchanges. Uh, we see they are very popular. So why do you believe that people still need a non-custodial option, Steve? I think of it as non-custodial, at least in this space, Bitcoin is everything. It's really the core reason for Bitcoin in the first place to control your funds, to control the store value, control the usage of, of Bitcoin itself, to have full control over that process. And an exchange is just another part of the ecosystem to enable usage of Bitcoin. And if we're going to be as true to the vision of Bitcoin as possible, then having true non-custodial solutions to exchange Bitcoin, to be the on and off ramps for between fiat, legacy banking and Bitcoin is of prime importance. And you can look at that from many angles. You can look at it from the perspective of privacy and having full control of your data. You can also look at it from the standpoint of security and actually not taking the chance of losing the funds that you have. I think the security one is the one that 
people tend to talk about the most, but I think the privacy one is something that we should be thinking about a little bit more, particularly as we see data being shared with more and more organizations around the world and the possibility of what that means down the road. Yeah, I agree. The privacy is, is an important side of that. But um, let's just talk about security a little bit. So if the exchange is not holding my Bitcoin, I'm pretty sure the exchange will not run away with my money, right? But how do I make sure that the other side of the trade does not run away with my money, right? Because if I buy Bitcoin for fiat, the transfer of fiat is a separate process from the transfer of crypto that is controlled to some extent by you guys, um, by the software and by the principle your exchanges work. So how do BISC manage the situation in which there is a conflict and one side did their part and another one did not deliver? Yeah, so there's multiple layers to this. And for the most part, I mean, there's several thousand trades on BISC per month now. And for the most part, most users never have to deal with this. But that's primarily because of the first couple of layers. So like we mentioned before, the multi-sig is the core part of this. When you finalize your intention to take an offer on BISC, you have to lock into the multi-sig a certain percent of the Bitcoin that's being traded. And actually with our newest release that we just launched on Monday, we increased the suggested Bitcoin deposits to increase the incentive that people will stay true to the original terms of the trade. But anyway, you lock that Bitcoin into a multi-sig. And when you send or receive the fiat on the other side, you're telling BISC that you have done so and if you don't, you have trader chat. There's another feature that we recently added to work out with the other guy why there's a problem with the trade. This is in BISC, it's end-to-end -end encrypted and it's very easy to use. If trader chat does not work, at that point, you engage a mediator. A mediator is just another anonymous BISC contributor who will look at the situation and determine who's right and who's wrong and suggest a payout that the traders can accept. Most of the time, traders will accept this payout. They'll both accept the payout and in doing so, they'll sign off on a transaction and trade will be over. In very rare cases, this is you can count on one hand, uh, I don't know the, the latest numbers, but it's usually very few cases per month you have to escalate beyond that. And you have to ask the BISCDAO to take a last look at what's the correct way of handling the situation. So you'll make a GitHub issue and say, this is what my situation is, this is what the mediator said, and this is where I stand right now. And then the DAO will look at that issue during voting time and then make a determination one way or another. And if they think you deserve a payback, they'll issue you funds to make you whole. So the DAO is the holder of that third final key, right? Yeah. So at, at no point in this process is there a person, a single entity that can hold you up and keep you from a fair resolution. That's the idea. Okay. And I think this mediation mechanism or like conflict solving mechanism has been hacked this April earlier and you released some fix for that. Can you just talk briefly about that? What, what happens? What exactly has been exploited and uh, how you fix that? Yeah, so it was basically a, a lack of validation was basically what it was. So in the process I just described, one thing that I didn't mention is that before you engage the DAO, so before you can ask the DAO for a refund, you have to send all of the funds in the multi-sig to the DAO. And that's done through a delayed payout transaction. So there, when you enter into a trade with another party on BISC, you're sending funds to the multi-sig. But in addition to that, in the background, you're signing a delayed payout transaction for all the funds in the multi-sig to be sent to the DAO. In the case that if you're not able to come to a resolution after 20 days, all the funds in that multi-sig will be sent to the DAO and publishing that transaction enables you to ask the DAO for a refund. And what happened in, in the security vulnerability that you mentioned back in April, the address that those delayed payout funds were going to was changed. That address was not validated. And so someone exploited that vulnerability and sent the funds to another address, which obviously screwed up the process and enabled an exploit. How did you fix that? 
we just added the validation to make sure that the funds were being sent to the correct address and uh, that essentially solved the problem. I mean, there's more to it, but that's the gist of it. Okay, Max, what does HODL HODL do not to let the users get scammed? I think you should, you should start with the core principles of multi-signature, as I mentioned. So if you have only one signature and you want to run away with money, with Bitcoin in this particular case, you won't be able to do so because uh, you need a second one. So you need to have two keys at least. And in case of uh, example, one guy sends fiat uh, and another one says, uh, I didn't receive anything. They just start a dispute and HODL HODL have uh, one key, which is the third key. And uh, we actually have our dispute resolution system and dispute resolution agents. We have a pretty a huge different types of instructions, how to handle disputes, multiple layers of this. And uh, with having our own key, we just solve this issue and allocate funds in favor of the winner of the dispute. But usually, as Steve mentioned, the same goes with HODL HODL. The cases when the dispute is actually started, it's pretty rare. And the cases when HODL HODL need to uh, use their own key is actually way more rare than this. Usually, it's solved between two of the parties because they together have two keys and they can solve these issues without uh, asking a support agent or a dispute resolution agent to join and help them with this. So it's it's pretty rare. Okay, uh, but HODL HODL kind of takes less radical approach to being non-custodial than BISC, I guess, because one thing, you guys are members of the Liquid network, which one can argue is not totally non-custodial, which is a kind of a settlement layer for crypto exchanges, right? Yeah, but we don't have any functionality on, on Liquid, which has recently joined it. And uh, we joined Liquid for our other projects that we're building. It's not for HODL HODL, to be honest. It's, it will be a separate project, which will be hopefully built on top of the Liquid network as well. So you joined Liquid, but you're not using it for Bitcoin trades on HODL HODL? No, we've experimented with Lightning uh, in last year, we were actually first and one of the few peer-to-peer trading platforms that actually used and allowed you to trade through the Lightning channels peer-to-peer. But Lightning is custodial, so uh, we decided to remove that because we want to stick with uh, non-custodial principles of Bitcoin. And as Steve mentioned, I think it's core values of Bitcoin, not having a middleman and not giving uh, possession of your keys uh, to third party. There is a saying, not your keys, not your Bitcoins. So when you send Bitcoins to centralized exchange, it's not your uh, Bitcoins. So there's a reason for non-custodial solutions to exist. Anyway, yeah, we joined Liquid because we still think it's kind of interesting technology, which is developing pretty sure in a pretty fast pace, uh, but uh, most probably we're not going to use any of Liquid Tech for HODL HODL. Other projects that we're building now, definitely we're going to use Liquid in them. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors, trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. Crypto.com offers one of the most convenient ways to purchase your favorite tokens or cryptocurrencies. It's also one of the most cost-effective ways, with a normal 3.5% credit card fee waived for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. And when you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. So download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September.
Now we're coming to a more controversial part. No KYC. Imagine I'm a regulator and I want to ask you guys, in this world of scam artists, drug dealers, money launderers who are using crypto for bad purposes, why do you guys want to avoid the KYC checks and not fans off those bad players? And I want you both to give me just short one or two sentence explanation, and then we'll go deeper into the different aspects of that. So do you guys care if criminals, scammers, and other horrible people use your platform or software? Steve? I'm not aware, but I also don't know. Uh, what I will say is that criminals use all kinds of tools for crime, particularly in the software world, databases, uh, you can run an instance of MySQL and store all kinds of terrible, terrible things on it, but there is no regulation on running a database. So when it comes to software, running software and, and using it, I mean, it's it should be free. It should be something that you should be allowed to do without any kind of strings attached. Even if you are a criminal? Human is a human. It's a human right to use software, use your computer as you want to. Max, what do you say? Again, we're non-custodial. We're not supposed to, to ask for any information. We don't facilitate any trades. We just provide tools. So that's the first one. And we actually believe in uh, market economy. So we believe, and actually it's not a rare thing on HodlHodl that some of our users actually request KYC ML for themselves and some not. So it's a free market. Uh, we just give you a software solution that will allow you safely to trade Bitcoin. That's it. And another thing, as a former banker, I would say that criminals are usually in this world use in 99.99% of the cases, they use fiat and banks for their dirty things. But that might be changing as we reach in mass adoption, right? 99.9% is quite a precise number. I think it's, it's, it's even bigger because, you know, these people, they don't understand crypto. Most of them, majority of them don't understand crypto. Okay, let's just leave this number alone. But why no KYC? Why should I care about not having to go through the KYC check? What's the point? Steve actually mentioned already about that. We need to talk more about preserving your private data. And we see that recent cases of centralized exchange hacks, the goal of these hacks was database or data of their users, not uh, Bitcoins itself. So it's, it's pretty like a uh, warning side, to be honest, uh, because if some bad actors will know the data of the people who have uh, some financial assets, digital assets, they can actually go to their houses and try to force people to give their Bitcoins or, or whatever. So I would suggest that not having uh, the private data of your users is actually a pretty good thing to be because it also shows the quality of your caring about your customers. Yeah, the $5 wrench attack. I mean, Bitcoin is a few thousand USD right now, but can you imagine if the moon comes a few hundred thousand or a few million? I mean, do you really want to be on a list of people who own assets, multiple assets worth that much money? It doesn't make sense. But aren't we already at the point where it doesn't even matter where else am I leaving my personal data because it has been leaked already anyway, like with so many hacks and leaks in the recent years. And with the dark web full of stolen databases offers, like, does it matter if one more crypto exchange has a copy of my passport, say? Like, maybe my bank already leaked it or wherever else I left it. Your take, Steve? Oh, I think it absolutely matters because not all data is the same. I mean, if you had my, if you had access to all of the data that, all of my personal data on Telegram, for example, just as a random example, that data is worth a lot less. A stranger can uh, determine a lot less about me from that data than they can from my hypothetical crypto exchange account, both in terms of personal data and in terms of financial data. But then if I'm buying crypto for fiat, and um, let it be the question for you, Max, if I go to HodoHodo and I buy some Bitcoin for fiat and I use a bank transfer, the guy on the other side of the trade 
which is most likely not an ordinary trader, but an OTC broker or somebody who does it professionally. He sees my name, he sees my data, and he knows who I am. And he probably also has a database of his client. He might have. And that database also can get into the hands of bad people. So I'm not totally anonymous here, right? Well, again, there are different types of sellers and buyers on HODL-HODL. Some require KYCML and some are, don't require this. So it's up to you to choose which information you want to provide or which not, first of all. And second of all, there's uh, multiple payment methods that uh, disclose your personal information to some smaller extent than, for example, having a wire payment. Like there are payment methods uh, like PayPal, which I don't encourage because PayPal has a huge chargeback issues, but there are different payment systems and um, there are different types of, uh, of payment methods, which you actually can use and still be anonymous to some extent, like way more anonymous than paying just uh, with the bank wire. So it's up to you to choose. Again, it's free market. Up to you. If you're fine with giving your information to professional OTC dealer, fine. Maybe you are using non-custodial trading platform because you don't want to trust your Bitcoins to centralize uh, exchange. You're happy to provide your private data, but you don't want to provide your Bitcoins. Fine with that. We have a solution for that as well. But uh, if you're not fine, well, go go online and follow, follow and just find a proper peer who doesn't require you to handle all the data that you want, don't want to handle to him. And that's it. If I could add also that there's a difference between an anonymity and privacy. So on, on a lot of payment methods, on either, I guess, uh, HODL, HODL, or BISC, you're trading directly with another entity. They're going to know your name, probably, if, you, if you're using some kind of electronic bank transfer or similar method. They're going to know your name. They might know your phone number. They might know your account number or whatever. So it's not anonymous. But that information is not being persisted in some database somewhere, some honeypot somewhere indefinitely. So it's much more private. But there are other payment methods. For example, on BISC, you can do uh, in-person face-to-face transfer where you can walk into the deal with a mask on, sunglasses on, and you would be anonymous. Full gangster mode. You'd be anonymous and you'd also have some privacy. It's just a matter of trade-offs, like, like Max was saying. But there, there certainly is something to be said about the privacy that you get from peer-to-peer trading. It's not anonymous, but it is much more private. Okay. Uh, let's now talk about something that is closely connected to the KYC issue and the identity and reputation concept uh, of traders, the so-called tainted coins. Over the recent years, we have seen a growing pool of Bitcoin addresses that got blacklisted by exchanges because they originated from other exchange hacks, dark web marketplaces, uh, and other shady activities. Everything is traceable on the blockchain, and we might well see those coins blacklisted forever. So you guys don't filter for such Bitcoin, right? There is no mechanism in place to prevent these so-called tainted coins from entering BISC or HODL HODL? One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Okay, now we're talking about the Bitcoin fungibility, right? So, but okay, what if I, an ordinary user, come to HODL HODL, say, or I'm not such an ordinary user and I download a BISC uh, and I buy some Bitcoin there and that Bitcoin turns out to be blacklisted on most other exchanges and maybe even some crypto-friendly vendors that accept crypto but are also using blockchain tracing tools And I end up with a Bitcoin that most places won't accept. So how do I prevent them from happening? Should I care? And what do I do in such situation? What can you say on that matter, Steve? Well, first of all, I'm not sure to the extent that that's a realistic scenario. In my experience, from what I've heard and what I've seen, if you want to pay a Bitcoin to someone, wallets, to my knowledge, don't have such filtering mechanisms in place. It's uh, kind of unrealistic to think that that's actually happening. But I mean, sorry, so for example, I, I bought Bitcoin the way you allow me to do that, right? Uh, and I held it for some period of time and then I want to sell it and I see that like on Binance or Kraken or Coinbase, wherever, 
there is a better price than on peer-to-peer -peer Nordica Studio platform. So I go there and I'm being told, well, looks like you're a criminal. You're not able to sell your Bitcoin here. What do I do? Well, I would say that you shouldn't be using those platforms to begin with. I mean, there's a price to all of this, right? Like there's a price to freedom. And if the value to being in this regulated environment is worth it to you, then you've got to pay the price and play by their rules. But if you instead, if you want just total freedom and you don't want anyone to tell you what to do, and that's why you're in Bitcoin, then that's how you've got to play. I mean, it's just, you got to pick the route you want to go. Then I'm just sitting with my Bitcoin and waiting for people willing to do something with it. Practically speaking, you can exchange it, right? So you could use BISC to exchange it. So BISC also trades liquid Bitcoin. You could just swap in and out to basically new Bitcoin and maybe that Bitcoin is not tainted. So there's things you could do. Max, what's your take? <laughs> I wanted to say if you bought some tainted coins on Hodohol, just go and sell them on BISC. But anyway... <laughs> No, actually, uh, well, at least I, I know that BISC also uh, have this rating and reputation system. We also in HoloHodl have a rating and reputation system. So uh, most of vendors that always online there and that have uh, at least 50 trades or even more with a good reputation, they usually care about the things they sell or care about things they buy. So it's pretty safe to buy from them. And again, not all of them require KYC ML. Uh, but uh, as Steve mentioned, it's a trade-off. There's always a risk, you know, owning a Bitcoin instead of having a bank account is also a risk because nobody told you that being your own bank is safe. You can forget the passphrase or you can, you can lost your seed uh, phrase to your wallet and that's it. Or you can send your coins in another address uh, by mistake, and you won't be able to return them. So it's always a trade-off in any system. If you want to um, provide your private data, if you want to go through all this KYC, AML, mumbo-jumbo, and uh, I don't know, you want to store your coins on a centralized exchange, fine, you can do that. Uh, nobody forces you not to do. If you don't want to do that, you can go on BISC or HODL-HODL and buy some coins. And if you are paranoid about them being tainted or something like that, well, go to any forensic software solution. There are plenty of them online and try to track down the coins that you are buying. So there are always a solution for that as well. Okay. And by the way, talking about the reputation, there is, uh, there is a reputation and, and ratings of the traders on HODL-HODL, but there is no such thing on BISC. Am I right, Steve? Yeah, there is no rating system. The most that you can do is have what we call a local reputation, where if you've traded with, an, with another peer at a particular Onion address in the past, you'll see in BISC, you'll see how many times you've traded with that Onion address. As soon as you change your Onion address, the reputation is gone. It's really more of a convenience for frequent traders to, uh, to have a quick idea of how many people they've traded with who are on the offer book. Why is that? Why there is no reputation on BISC? Why I cannot check who I'm dealing with? Mainly, I guess privacy is a big part of it, uh, as well as you know, ratings can be, can be gamed as well. But yeah, it's mainly because of privacy. I mean, if we were to persist that kind of data across the network, over time you would see trends and you would be able to perhaps associate certain trades or certain events and activities with uh, transactions and then perhaps unmask people that way. So we just think it's more private if each node on the network is as independent and, and uh, sovereign really as, as possible. But that's just a nickname and a rating attached to it. Does this have anything to do with privacy? Right. Well, it has to be persisted somewhere, right? It has to be stored somewhere. And on BISC, all data is stored on all nodes. Every single node on the network has the exact, or in theory, has very close to the exact copy of data across the whole network. So, for example, payment methods or payment accounts. When you create a payment account in BISC, you're storing it on your own machine, but the hash of that payment account is actually persisted across the whole network. So that when you place a trade with another peer and they get your payment account information encrypted from you, 
that other peer can verify that your information has not been tampered with, that they're seeing it exactly as you originally created it. And there's other examples of this, like trade data, All every single trade done on BISC, the core elements of that trade are also persisted across the network. So any node can see all trades ever done on the network, uh, of course, without any kind of personal information, but you can see when the trade was done and what price it was done at. Um, and so if we added accounts and reputation, we would have to find a way to persist this data across the network in a way that every node could uh, store it, but in a private sort of a way that didn't unmask any data unwillingly. And this all is happening on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, so transactions are all being done on the Bitcoin blockchain. All BISC DAO transactions are also on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, data for BISC itself is stored for the most part on users' computers, like your actual hard drive. Okay. I just, just want to talk a bit about what's, what's next for, for the industry and for all the things we've been talking about. Because in the beginning, I said that exchanges like uh, what you guys are doing are rare animals, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this segment of crypto is flourishing. Max, you started talking about that. Uh, what, what do you see? What are the trends that you're seeing? I would say that um, there are more and more non-custodial solutions appearing, not only on top of Bitcoin, but also other like crypto stuff, uh, Ethereum, for example. Sorry, can you list any? Like uh, on uh, non-custodial peer-to-peer trading platforms, uh, there's local cryptos, another peer-to-peer marketplace. I know that uh, local coin swap, which is also a peer-to-peer marketplace, moving in, in that direction. So and there's actually, I know that there are several other projects that are uh, building at the moment, providing some kind of non-custodial Bitcoin solutions uh, in different areas. And actually, we at Hodl Hodl are trying to stick with non-custodial principles. And we are not only building trading tools, which is HODL HODL, but we're also building a prediction markets. For example, we have a prediction platform as well in, inside of HODL HODL, which is also non-custodial. And uh, in a few months from now, we are about to release also another non-custodial financial solution, which we hope is going to at least shake out uh, the market in, in, in different segment of Bitcoin market, but it will be interesting. We're really excited about that. So what are we trying to build? We're, we want to build as many as different non-custodial solutions, financial non-custodial solutions on top of Bitcoin. Uh, in terms of other coins, well, you, you see Ethereum and their DeFi movement, which I don't believe in, but again, there are some good examples like Uniswap and MakerDAO or something like that, which is at least uh, interesting to see how they're evolving and how they're developing. Even though I'm Bitcoin maximalist, I still think that there are room for other coins to exist and other software protocols to exist. Why not? I think that, that the market is moving like uh, in terms of not having something in the middle, but being either you are fully non-custodial with all the DeFi stuff uh, or decentralized stuff, or you are fully custodial with all the KYC ML, with all the strict control and all that stuff. I think the market is more like shaking out in two, in two parts. Right, but it just doesn't look like these are two even parts, right? Yeah, of course. It takes time takes time, takes education. And more and more we hear that another exchange like, you know, bought some blockchain tracing tools, uh, partnered with uh, blockchain analytics companies, you know, are in talks with the regulators. So why is like, in spite of all the principles that we've discussed here, why the mainstream crypto is moving into KYC AML, custodial regulated mode? Why we see that? Well, because obviously, if you're making a lot of money and you're a centralized exchange, you want to continue making a lot of money, or at least you want to continue to making a certain amount of money. And you don't 
like stick with uh, crypto core values. I think they're treating crypto and Bitcoin in general as a money-making machine. And that's a business for them. And for us, actually, it's also a business. But uh, we would like to build a business with proper values in mind. You know, uh, we are some kind of, I don't know, maybe we're thinking in terms of fairy tales and something like that. But still, <laughs> you know, we want to believe in something good when we are building the business. Well, that's a very, very particular fairy tale, I would say. But there is also another side of that, right? So I hardly can imagine my parents or my non-crypto, non-technical friends or anybody like that, if we're talking about the mass adoption, like, I don't know if, if we even want the mass adoption, but if we want about more people getting into crypto, I can't imagine a normal person like making this choice that I want to take care of my private key. And if I lose this device, I might never redeem my coins. And then the seed phrase, or where did I put the seed phrase? I forgot it. What should I do? Maybe it's my theory, but most people would prefer to just leave all those troubles with some trusted third party and just forget about it and not even care that their personal data is somewhere and can be hacked or maybe cannot or maybe it never happens. I wonder if you guys see how many people potentially can join, let's call it a movement, okay? Like, you know, the community of people who believes in things that you just discussed, that we should not share our personal data, we should maintain the keys of our Bitcoin. Like, is, can this community of people ever become can it become a majority or at least notable on, on the landscape? I would say there's like more and more that type of people and people are starting to waking up. They do start to understand the value of their own private data, especially now in times of uh, globalization, internet, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, when you say I can't imagine, well, let's be honest, 15 years ago, you wouldn't imagine that your phone would have a touchscreen. Because when I, for example, first time saw an iPhone with the touchscreen on it, I thought, well, it's, it's not convenient at all. It's just what, what a weird thing to have. Or 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, nobody would imagine that there would be uh, digital assets that uh, is not backed by any government or just backed by simple math. And you are here because at some point you believed that there is a reason for that to exist. So. Who knows? Well, do you mean that in the future to manage your private coins will be as easy as to use an iPhone or what? I would say yes, because uh, user interface and user experience is improving. And for example, I would say about HODL HODL that a majority of users that are coming to HODL HODL, they don't see any difference between us and custodial exchanges already. And majority of our loyal customers, they actually mentioned that it's becoming way more easier to use non-custodial solutions. And they're completely moving from custodial peer-to-peer -peer exchanges to non-custodial peer-to-peer exchanges. Okay, I guess there is no way to verify those claims. We're going to just trust you, I guess. Uh, Steve, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I can. I mean, I just, just to add another anecdote from uh, what Max was saying about you know, not being able to imagine certain things. I mean, when I started contributing to BISC over two and a half years ago now, BISC was doing a daily average number of trades of, of about 20. 20 trades per day on average. Now, consistently, that number is over 100. And, you know, we're, we hear this more and more every day that BISC is, you know, it's being used by people who are not just computer nerds. It used to be programmers. It used to be, you know, Bitcoin nerds. Now it's people, we had a truck driver the other day, and I'm not saying anything, don't mean to say anything bad about truck drivers, but they're not the demographic you would expect to be using a really hardcore cypherpunk tool like this, but they're doing it now because they know that that's the, the way to go. Wait, you don't have KYC. How do you know that's a truck driver? They, uh, they were on our, on our forum. They were, they were overly generous with talking about themselves and uh, asking for help. So they, that's how we know. <laughs> well, well, maybe that's a good old drug dealer posing as a drug driver. Who knows? Who knows? 
to finish our conversation, probably, can you talk a little bit about what's next for you? Max, HODL HODL was going to open source itself. Yeah, we are actually in the process of open sourcing. Hopefully, we will finish this process somewhere uh, next year, most probably. We actually promised to finish it this year, but uh, we are developing two extra new projects. One will be standalone platform, more like software infrastructural tools. And another one will be very important part of HODL HODL which I already mentioned. So because of that, we've postponed our open sourcing plans to the next year. But uh, this year, we're definitely going to release two new products. Uh, one will be on HodelHodel and another one we will be a standalone project by HodelHodel team. So hopefully everything non-custodial, everything non-KYC, and you will be able actually to build your with with one of them you will be actually able to build your own non-custodial tools for different purposes and can you say what are those products or not yet one uh we've actually disclosed the information about one project last year during uh, during our conference it's um a platform that will allow you to build different types of multi-signature tools with our code that we are going to post online and another one i'm not able to disclose it yet because we want to have a first mover advantage with that we believe that it's going to be a crucial part of hodl hodl but i will remember that you asked me and you will be the first person who will know about it <laughs> okay i got your word on that uh but how is the prediction market doing by the way yeah, we actually, uh, last year we launched the prediction market. It's more was an experiment for us. We had some traction on that, but to be honest, comparing to trading part, it's, it's still low. Uh, what we're going to do this year, we're completely redesigning it. Now, Hodl Hodl is actually in the process of redesign. Uh, we're going to finish this by the end of the summer. And uh, in autumn, hopefully, we will redesign our prediction marketplace. And we're going to present a new version, uh, which will be solely focused on uh, crypto price prediction. Okay. And are you doing Baltic Honey Badger this year? Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I think most probably no, unfortunately. We're about to announce uh, this uh, this week that uh, unfortunately, due to this uh, unstable situation globally, uh, we don't think there's any reason to, to do a conference this year. We are not fans of, of making online conferences, so we most probably are going to skip this year, unfortunately. But hopefully next year we will return with even bigger Honey Badger. Okay, sad news. Um, Steve, what's next for BISC? Uh, I wonder, have you been happy with how the DAO has been doing are you planning any more movement in that direction? What's, what's next for you? Yeah, the DAO has been excellent. I think we can say with, with confidence for the past year and a half now, it launched in April of 2019. Ever since then, it's been pretty much without a hitch. Every, every month we have proposals, we have voting, and we have results, and it's been doing great. As far as next steps for the network, we are focusing on refining what we have so I spoke, tried to explain the dispute resolution system that we had earlier in this podcast. And I'm sure most of your listeners or many of your listeners were probably a bit overwhelmed, maybe a little confused because there are a lot of steps and moving parts to it. But we're going to try to refine that so that it's not as confusing. So the experience is a little bit more straightforward and clear. So that aspect of the experience, we're going to try to improve a lot. And the other thing that we're working on actively is the API something people have wanted for years, the ability to, to make offers and take offers and use BISC with an API. So, you know, not necessarily on the note on the machine that your BISC node is running, but maybe from another computer, from a mobile app, for example, you know, trading bots, things like that. So we're hoping to, to get some really solid work on that API done as well, refine the BISC user experience and uh, really just make BISC as pleasurable and as easy to use as possible. 
How many members are now in the DAO and how do people get to be one? So anybody can be, uh, can participate in the DAO. It, there's no uh, requirement, really. The only requirement is that you, in order to make a proposal or vote, you need to uh, use BSQ. So the colored Bitcoin that the, the DAO is built around. Um, you can buy BSQ on BISC, right on BISC. You can earn it by working on BISC or you can buy it on BISC. And once you have BSQ, you can vote. You can make proposals to change BISC in a way if you want to change. There's a change that you want to see, a significant change that you want to see in the software or in the way things are done in the DAO itself. You can make a proposal and make a case for it and have it go to vote. Um, and you can, of course, vote on other people's proposals to further influence the direction of the project. So you only need to own some BSQ, which is your token. Yeah, and there's no requirement. It's really more of a spam prevention technique. So, you know, because if there was no cost to make a proposal, people would make all kinds of silly proposals. So there's a two BSQ fee to make a proposal, which is like a dollar right now. So it's... So how many people are participating right now in the DAO? If I remember correctly, we have between 20 to 30 proposals per cycle. So that's about per month. And we have 15 to 20 compensation requests. So that's 15 to 20 people who actively contribute to the BISC DAO per month, per cycle. You know, some of them are more active than others, but that's, that gives you an idea of how active the project is. Okay, uh, well, that's super interesting, guys. And thank you for joining us today. And I think it's a very important topic that is not that often discussed. Like, what is your choice? The sovereignty, the user experience, the independence, or more secure feeling of relying on somebody else? And I think like anyone in crypto probably needs to make their own choice. So thank you for joining us and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Listen to Coindesk podcast. We have a lot of awesome content coming up soon and stay with us. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.